Did you know at Kroger, shopping online with pickup and delivery is the same as shopping in-store? Same low prices, same personalized deals, same rewards, with no hidden fees or markups on your same family favorites, like Honeycrisp apples and pasta sauce. The only difference is you don't have to put on shoes. Start your cart today at Kroger.com. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Why wait to see if you'll get something you like this Valentine's Day when you can go to BlueNile.com and find something you'll love? Whether you're looking to treat yourself to a little winter sparkle or show a galantine how much you appreciate them, Blue Nile offers a wide selection of high-quality designs, expert guidance, and free 30-day returns for the ultimate peace of mind. You can even design your own jewelry. Right now, save up to 50% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Cold open question of the day, Brendan Clean. Lakers-Warriors on Saturday night was a two-overtime awesome NBA game. One of, I think, the best of the season so far. Was just great. Had a ton of interesting stuff. I really really felt for poor Brandon Pajemski when he got switched on to LeBron late in this game and just had no shot, and LeBron ends up getting to the line and hits the free throws to win the game. Just poor Brandon. Not not up for that moment, just based on his, his size. But I ask you this. Steph and LeBron is, to me, the most fascinating dynamic among stars we have in the league because they were very open rivals for a four-year run. And now they're buddy-buddy to some degree. I think there's obviously still rivalry there, and they're, you know, they're different shoe companies. They are essentially both competing for titles and playing the same conference and all this stuff. But it is <laughs> such an interesting dynamic that I would... I would watch a documentary about those two in, in their intersection. I would want, read a book about it. But I ask sure. you this. Who, who, what is the successor to them? Is there any dynamic like this in the league? And I, I can't – like Jokic and Bead isn't quite the same to me because they maybe just because they haven't played in the finals against each other. But I can't – is there a dynamic to you that interests you in a similar way? You could see taking – succeeding them as, as kind of the de facto got to watch these two guys historically playing against each other in moments. The answer is we don't know yet, right? Because the thing about those two facing off, not only in the finals, now in some of these Western Conference regular season games that are more consistent than they were when when LeBron was in Cleveland or Miami, but also I would add the play-in game, the first ever play-in tournament that we had, that game was an all-timer. So it's just been the, the longevity of it. But the other ingredient here is we spend so much time as basketball fans sort of mourning like, wow, we never got LeBron Kobe in a finals, right? We never got, we only got LeBron KD in their natural habitats once, uh, you know, pre KD going to the Warriors and all these different, but we got LeBron Steph a bunch of times. And so that's the other part of it is to have the two best players of their sort of overlapping generations actually face off head to head with the biggest stakes so many times is it it feels like the luck of that is almost hard to replicate more so even than anything else. And then you add in like the personalities, those two guys are two of the more likable or at least followable people superstars in any sport so you could throw out like oh chet versus wendy it's like no i mean we're we're so far from 
holding anybody to even that same standard. And I think we already know Jokic and Embiid from a personality and style standpoint probably aren't aren't there either, a likability standpoint. So I think the answer is we got to just appreciate as many of these as we get because it is really once in a lifetime type of stuff to, to get it so much and so magnified in, you know, five, 10 years. And even just specifically over that four-year run, you think about just all the iconic parts of that that are one of one. I mean, you have the three-one moment. You have you have the the Steph beating LeBron the first time through. You have Durant adding so much. Like Durant's like a third wheel to that in a lot of ways, but he's Kevin fucking Durant, mm-hmm. and he yet he like elevates that and kind of gave Curry a very direct head-to-head advantage in the finals and the odds of anyone playing in each other four finals in this modern NBA much less four times in a row is slim at best so mm-hmm. I, I think you have the right answer there right, coming up on today's show we got some slop about the aforementioned LA Lakers and it's championship tier check-in time a week ahead of the trade deadline let's get into today's just basketball show I am Chris Manning. That is Brendan Clean. Welcome to the Just Basketball Show, your twice weekly show about all things hoops. Want to tell you about our friends at Thrive Fantasy. Thrive Fantasy is a player prop DFS platform where you can pick more or less on your favorite players across multiple sports, including the NBA and the NFL. Sign up today with our code Just Basketball and Thrive will match your first deposit up to two hundred and fifty dollars. If you haven't already, by the way, please follow and subscribe to us and your podcast platform of choice. Five stars only. Hit subscribe on our YouTube channel and follow us wherever you're consuming social content. Over on TikTok specifically, Brendan does some great breakdowns. Our guy Zayon does some great breakdowns. And our guy Colby Olsen and I are doing every day of the week over under prop picks for NBA games. So check that out with us. And again, use that code from Thrive Fantasy Code Just Basketball for a first deposit match up to $250 and play along with us. Brendan, let's get into some slop because we're a week ahead let's of the deadline. Lakers slop in particular is just especially juicy. Sloppy. <laughs> yes. But let's let's talk through it. Where why don't you start why don't you start navigating us through this this Lakers world here? So there's three different places that this is coming from, right? And it's kind of Surprising and not surprising, right, Chris, that once again, it feels like the Lakers' entire team is going to look different two weeks from now. That's just an annual LeBron James tradition is you watch the first 40 games, everything gets exploded in early February, and then you really get to see what the ultimate upside ceiling destiny of the team might be. And it feels like we're headed there again. They are pursuing DeJounte Murray, which we know. I have a feeling that's not going to be, even if it comes together, I really doubt that's going to be the only move Mm -hmm. that they make. It's just the one that would be the biggest, the one that's getting the most attention. So Jake Fisher had, it sounds like basically the Lakers, Chris, have a structure in place with the Hawks, 
right? Which would be the 2029 first round pick that they did not give up last deadline. They also, I believe, do have a swap that they can get rid of now that we're in this season. They can give up a 2030 swap um, and some sort of salary, including D'Angelo Russell for DeJounte Murray. Feels like the holdup is D'Angelo Russell. So Jake Fisher had the structure of the deal. Jovan Buha had the challenges with regard to Russell because the Hawks, understandably, don't want another guard making a lot of money if they're getting rid of one of those. And they obviously are going to continue to build around Trey Young for the foreseeable future. But the problem is no one else really wants D'Angelo Russell. So I honestly, I think we should pause there because the more news that comes out about this and the more difficulty that it seems that they're having trading him, Chris, I think we need to maybe reevaluate how we sort of yada yada that deal in the off season as, oh, that'll be traded. It's like, it might actually be harder to, tr- like that, that's not a given here. It seems like even though the, the number we knew would be a used in a trade, I think we kind of maybe overlook the fact that somebody has to want D'Angelo Russell on that salary in order to make that make sense. I think we should, we should probably just stop assuming teams can just trade anyone anymore. Like, I think we're kind of past that era where, like, anyone is at a certain salary number movable. Like, mm-hmm. D'Lo is, like, like look, should he, is he an all-star? No. Is he a total bum who doesn't deserve to be on an NBA roster? No. But he's in that spot where he's making $6 million above the mid-level exception. He's not, I think, a guy that teams view as necessarily a building block or someone that you want to, like, take into a postseason run with you, right? Like, was very kind of you. About him. I, you know, I'm generous mood. Ohio, you know, he's an, he played he played college ball in Ohio. Got a some not solidarity with Ohio State. I don't know why I did that, but I know I'm like, hold on, where are we going here? Are you <laughs> you're rocking the mm-hmm. the red and white yeah. now? All of a sudden, I missed no, that. Green green and green and white forever. The Ohio University, maybe Harvard on the Hawking. But Jason Preston, we'd be talking about. I'd be livid if someone was trying to trade Jason. They were like, we don't want Jason Preston. I'd be like, unbelievable. You guys are absolute wrong. Regardless. <laughs> D'Lo is in this spot where when you think of when teams are thinking about aprons and thinking about all of these different salary cap mechanics, like $18.6 million for next season is not nothing to plan to have on your books. That is an obstacle with NBA player salaries rising. I think this is going to be this kind of problem for teams like this. That's like Karis LeVert is another example is Karis LeVert is not a bad player by any means. And he's making a little bit less money. But if the mm-hmm. Cavs were to try to trade him right now, and I don't think they are, I think teams would be like, do I want to be the team that's paying Karis LeVert like upwards of $15, $16 million for next year? When like, Does that cut into my flexibility in other ways? I think what probably ends up yeah. happening here with, with D'Lo is they're going to need to convince a third team that's like a, a real stinky team. like Pick one of the dregs of the league and just mm-hmm. pay them off with some seconds, and that's how this is going to work. But... It, well, that's that's exactly, I think, the distinction that has to be made, right? To your original point of what's tradable. Russell hasn't played well enough and hasn't earned the trust of his own current team's coaching staff enough, although he's played better since getting back into the starting lineup. He was good on Saturday. To, I thought he made some really nice plays against the Warriors for whatever that's worth. Yeah. 
but he hasn't, he's not at a level where he's positive value, right? You're not going to, and so the Lakers are in a position where they want to use him as something ideally that like is desirable as a, as a portion of what they're getting rid of in order to bring DeJounte Murray in, whereas Atlanta's looking at it as something that they have no interest in. I think the other, the other distinction to make is that D'Angelo Russell probably did better in his agent, obviously more, more so on that contract, even than we realized by having next season be a player option. I think that was sort of the, the win that Russell and his camp got here was okay. You're going to only give me two years. You know, obviously we, we kind of all think of it as a slight overpay. Maybe you vary on that in general, but because I'm not really going to be able to control my destiny and I know you're going to trade me, you're giving me a second year under my own control and I get that player option. So I think that's uh, I think that's really big, but I think we've talked about the fit of Murray before and you know, Jovan Buha had the point similar to yours that it's really going to be the bad teams that might need his offense or at least be able to just sort of bring in his salary without it being too disruptive. Brooklyn, not not a bad team, but, you know, they need a guard, obviously, and they're not winning right now. Charlotte, Washington, Detroit, and San Antonio. Those are the other ones. So those are the bottom four teams in the NBA. Do you think something gets done here? I, I'm honestly looking at this trickle of news with regard to the Russell Murray situation, and I don't, I don't really know if the Lakers have enough to tip the scales here. If they've always been sort of cautiously aggressive, if that makes sense, like they don't ever want to give everything. So if if you're saying that they have to give up another second round pick package or a young player just in order to offshoot Russell somewhere on top of what they're getting rid of for Murray. I it honestly feels like they might not do it. I just think they should do it is kind of the problem. I think it's, I get the trepidation and like, this is a team that's ninth in the West. They're one game over 500. I don't think we have them by any stretch of the imagination, you know, in the inner circle title contenders at this point, mm-hmm. we just, that's not where they are. But I think with LeBron, I think with AD where he's at, I think just, I think I would just say, dude, this offense needs a jolt. You only have LeBron for so long. You only have windows for so long. You already have kind of messed around and effed around and found out and kind of got here in the first place. I get that trying to spend your way out of things isn't always a smart move, but I think they should just do it. And like a second round pick, honestly, I, I am pro player development. I am pro teams investing in player development. But at a certain point, second round picks, they have pretty low hit rates. Just you're not going to remember you traded that pick. You could probably convince a team to take some protections on it, and it's like a fake one anyway. Like I, th- I think you could probably do this and give a team a PR win of getting a second round pick for taking on D'Lo, but then also not really give up anything substantial. So Anthony Irwin, who uh, does some independent Lakers coverage, has bounced around a bunch of places, had a little nugget, um, just that the Lakers are at least starting to explore trading some of the pieces that they would have gotten for Murray, that they would have given for Murray in other conversations, which indicates maybe they're at least trying to see what else might be out there rather than marrying themselves to the Murray thing. I happen to agree that he's a pretty good fit and makes a lot of sense. And, and getting, if getting better is the end goal, then you, you just go ahead and do it. 
Um, the Lakers, for what it's worth, those pieces were Russell, Jalen Hood Scafino, who really hasn't played this year, a 2029 first round pick, and additional draft compensation. That's sort of the framework that Jovan Buha reported mm-hmm. is kind of where things stalled. My last thought on this part of it, and we have one more Lakers thing to get to, is I would want to be sure that it's the best I can do. And if other teams value that first round pick, or Hood Shafino, or Max Christie, even who I really like still, but you know, if it was a, a huge upgrade, I would be willing to part with him, um, or even somebody like Rui or, or whatever. I I'm not so dead set on Murray that I'm just gonna like be quiet up until the deadline and ask Atlanta to call me back day of or something, you know? So I think they're handling it right. They have to get better somehow. This season is kind of uh, in jeopardy if they don't, and we'll see what they do. Um, The last thing from Brian Windhorst, just a perfect windy nugget, Chris. Just one sentence offhandedly on a podcast that he knew exactly what he was doing with. And it, well, and, and and then if someone says something about it, like if he happens to like see this clip, Brian Windhorst, you're a legend. Don't get mad at me. I'm not an aggregator in this sense. Kind of, he's gonna we get are, mad I mean. when so kind of, but okay. But I'm not like turning into a. I think he gets mad at like the the. I'm putting bloggers in air quotes. I think that's sure. who he gets no, mad get at, and like and like and like NBA Central. Okay, just like he's gonna get mad when someone like says that he said this. Is the thing, but he did. It's also very, and funny. so we're gonna yeah. talk about it. He said, quote, I don't know what's going to happen with LeBron in 2025. I feel like LeBron is going to play next year, but I don't know if it's going to be for the Lakers. So this isn't exactly breaking news, which is um, part of actually why I think it's worth talking about. I've been surprised at how little this subplot has come up this season for the Lakers. I have been surprised that we have not heard more about, hey, you never know, like LeBron's putting pressure. LeBron is on the last year potentially of his salary. He can opt out after this season if he wants to. And we heard it more last year. Mm -hmm. And it kind of has gone away. So neither you or I is going to prognosticate where LeBron's going to play next year. But Ohio, Brendan. That's that's what I want. What do you? That's <laughs> what you want. Yeah, I, I could tell you what I want, but we don't know, right? But Ronnie James, Cleveland Charge, and LeBron James, Cleveland Cavaliers. Amani Bates and Bronny James selling out the Wolstein Center. Let's go. I'm just printing money. The fact that you think LeBron would go to another team to play with his son and then allow that son to be on the G League yeah, squad all season is yeah, uh, I know is uh, I know. not Virgin. not not what's <laughs> going to play out. Zero percent chance, yeah. but <clears throat> I guess my question here is: How much do you think the Lakers are thinking about that? Do you think we haven't heard about it because it's not really a real threat of something that could happen, or do you think it this is sort of just the beginning and Wendy's getting out in front of what will become a very big storyline the last four months of this season? I think that more than that it's not a worry because like i think with lebron it's it's always something of a of a potential worry um i just also have a hard time envisioning personally i just have a hard time envisioning him leaving la at this point i I do too and like i just i also i just don't 
Like, where, like I don't think yes, the, the Sun thing, thing is as serious as maybe we used to think it was. If if you've listened to his comments since then, he made a comment of that's my dream, but not necessarily his about Bronny. And if LeBron, if Bronny were to go to a bad team, LeBron's not going to do that. You know, the confluence, like the, the the domino effect of what would have to happen for that to even be feasible or reasonable, is just so far fetched to me. I like we don't even know if Bronny's actually coming out. We don't. I think he and like is. we and we we talked about this a little bit. We're not sure if that's really the best thing for him. We'll see. I also, I just think even from like a business and like where his life is perspective, there's not like in many places LeBron James at this point in his life with a kid who's still in high school, number one, and playing in the LA area, a daughter, and then a wife and all the business interests he has. He's not going to like up and relocate to the Washington Wizards in in or the Houston. Like he's not going to just be like, all right, I'm playing for exactly. Dallas now. You know, like that's not how this is going to work. He is even when he went to Miami. Like his the times he has moved, it has been obviously it's just, everything he does. It was very intentional. Miami was I'm going to team up with Wade and Bosch. It is an organization and Pat Riley and the allure of that. He comes back to Cleveland. There's the allure of winning the title there. It's unfinished business. It's really cementing his legacy as as an icon of that city and that franchise. Maybe the best – I think the best athlete that city's ever seen, it's him and Jim Brown are like the two pantheon gods of Cleveland sports. And then it's L.A. because it's the Lakers. It's the iconic franchise and league and the place that he and his family want to live. He's not just going to like, all right, going to play in Toronto for a year, you yeah. know? Love Scotty Barnes. Like, that's not... He's probably just going to be in LA is where I tend to think this ends up. And if he isn't, it's going to be a perfect situation for him for a variety of reasons, right? It's going to be something that, by the time it happens, feels obvious. It's not going to be a surprise or some random thing or, you know, somebody tries to be a, a, a joker and draft Bronny way early and LeBron's like, guess my hands are tied. You know, like that's not going to happen. So it would be the Warriors or the Suns or an, an East Coast great market. Well, can I, can it would I, be a team that market-wise, proximity to LA-wise, whatever, maybe Cleveland and Miami, you probably have to consider just from that. But like, okay, let's let's use that as a list. We're at maybe 10 teams. I, th- I think there's, I really think there's only four. It's Cleveland, Miami, Golden State, and Phoenix. And I think Phoenix even, like, I just, I don't even know how that works. But so I think it'd really be Cleveland, Golden State, Miami, or the only three I could ever see. Like, it's obviously not going to be the Knicks. We kind of understand the clutch <laughs> Knicks relationship. Yeah, that's true. Not gonna, and the Nets like, don't make sense. No, but he could have gone to Philly before and didn't. Maybe he's the cap space guy there, but, like, I can't imagine Le- LeBron and Philly is just, like, something that doesn't make sense in my head. I think it's... Lakers, Cavs, Warriors, and the Warriors want to be super weird on a lot of levels. He <laughs> and Suns. Like it's a very small yeah. list. Well, we all know where I'm rooting, so let's hope. Uh, let's hope it ends one up of, there. Brendan, Brendan, one of us uh, is. Both of us are rooting for a getting getting to have LeBron on our, in our backyard and the benefits of that. But also our bank accounts are like, can LeBron please come back to the city where we cover, we host a daily show? 
Yeah. Well, you know, little feel a little squeamish about that kind of aspect of how this stuff works, just, but it is true. Yeah, no. It's not great. not, not it's incorrect. Not yeah. But yes. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I and I think you know the Lakers. If he if he demands a trade, even if he does not opt out of his contract and doesn't exercise that player option to become a free agent, if he demands a trade, they have to do it. That's just sort of how this stuff works. So. It very well could happen. And I, I guess, again, to come full circle on that part of this, surprising to me that as they've had a pretty mediocre and disappointing season, especially since the NBA Cup, it hasn't been thrown out there more. But again, Brian Windhorst is uh, great at this and he knows what he's doing. And I think we should maybe hear him out on things like this. Even if he's not on first take pointing his fingers up in the air, we should we should take him at his word here. But I think that's it. There's going to be smaller stuff from the Lakers too, but it feels like this Russell thing is really holding them up on a Murray deal. And I think they got to explore other things because they have to improve this team if they don't want this LeBron thing to become a bigger story. So they're definitely connected. Yeah. And we also had the thing last week where Dave McMenamin had been like, they are looking at Donovan Mitchell and like had like a lit stars labeled for different points of their future. And I was just like, okay, good luck, buddy. Good luck. Would love covering the Lakers to just be able to throw stuff like that out and have it be probably real. I'm not doubting Dave McMenamin, but it's like if the Wolves beat Ryder threw that out, it'd be like, you're fired. John Krasinski is like, guys, the Wolves are really looking at trading for Kevin Durant in the next six months. Like they have their eyes on him and it'd be like, okay. Yeah, sure. Not exactly going to be taken seriously there. Not at all. Should we get let's get into contenders and and what is going to come here? Uh, I want to tell you first about our friends at Homage. Homage is the ultra comfortable specialty apparel company with vintage inspired designs from the NBA, WNBA, NFL, and much more that pay homage to the greatest stories, traditions, and figures across sports, music, and pop culture. Use our link below. Make your purchase. Support the Just Basketball Show. I am wearing a Homage hoodie right now. I'm going to be driving in a little bit after we finish recording this. This hoodie is super comfortable. It's super cozy. Can't beat it. Have their eye on starter jackets for them as well once those drop again for the NFL and MLB seasons. Very excited to get a Guardians starter jacket from our friends at Amateur. Again, use our link below. Support the show. And get yourself or someone you care about something nice. Brendan, let's get in. You you made our list of contenders, so I'm going to turn this over to you. Let's start Tier 1. Who's in the tier? And let's dive in. Yeah, as a refresher, the way we do our championship tiers here is starting at the top, going to the cellar dwellers down at the bottom. Each tier has three to six teams. They are grouped that way for a reason. They are all to be treated equivalently in terms of how likely they are to win a championship. Within each tier, we will try to discuss who is trending up, who might be trending down. And we're going to highlight at least one team from each group, kind of break down where they are, what's important with them, their latest games, all of those sorts of things. So, tier one, we'll call the real contenders. And as you and I have discussed, and I don't think either of our minds have changed here, Chris, that only includes three teams. Mm -hmm. Boston Celtics, the Denver Nuggets, and the LA Clippers. Mm-hmm. Now, because these teams are at the top, I'm going to say nobody's trending up or down, so we'll skip that part. Well, can I can I just say one thing about the I I kind of have the Clippers on the up. 
They went into okay. Boston and had a fantastic win on Saturday. Kawhi was great. They were absolutely stifling on defense in that game against against Boston. They're one of the I think that is about as impressive as we have seen a team play the Celtics all year. Kawhi was great. They they the Clippers clearly really big time showed up for that game in a way that was telling. Boston had a Brennan Boston had an offensive rating in this game of eighty two point two. You that that's like that's like nineteen fifties basketball levels of of listlessness. It is so far below yeah. league average competency that it's astounding. A it's George it's Mike like, and ass offensive rating. Yeah, JJ Redick is slandering the the families of teams that put up offensive ratings like this. Like that's just the where it happens. But like they weren't good. They didn't. It wasn't even that they turned the ball over a lot either. The Celtics like relatively didn't turn like pretty good turnover rate in this game. Mm-hmm. The Clippers defense was just that good. So this is. I was going to sneak in a segment we are wanting to get off the ground and forgot to prep here. The best win and worst loss of, of last week. To me, this is the my, was going to be my pick for the best win of the week. 100% and has to be. What's crazier about it, even on top of all the things you pointed out that were just so lopsided, is Boston was not only the home team, they had the rest advantage. The Clippers had played in Toronto the previous night. So the Clippers came in on the second night of a back-to-back. Toronto to Boston is not like the shortest flight in the world. It's it's you know it's real travel. It's not like they were in L.A. for two games or something, right? And blew both teams out. They blew the Raptors out, not as impressive, by 20. They turned right around the next night in Boston, blow them out by 19. To me, and the Clippers were the team we wanted to highlight, I think, obviously, uh, as we're in it now. This team is piling up wins like this. They... I think it was a double-digit win over the Thunder. We're talking almost two weeks ago now on a Tuesday night on TNT. Same night as the Jokic Embiid game. They, last weekend, on January 20th, had that 22-0 run to close out a win in Brooklyn with Russell Westbrook at center, basically, playing tiny down the stretch of that game to to match Brooklyn's lineup flexibility. They win that one. And then this 19-point win over Boston. Like, I, it's, it's like... I, what I was going to have when we were going to do these tiers last episode was like, this is a contender hiding in plain sight was going to be my top level thing about the Los Angeles Clippers, but they're third in net rating right now. If you don't think that they're a, a real legitimate contender at this point, you are just sort of lying to yourself. You're just, you, you're just a hater of the injury problems or the load management, or you don't believe in James Harden or you're tired of Russell Westbrook or whatever it is. It It's not, based in fact, because this team's doing everything, they're acing every single test to prove that they can absolutely win the title right now. Mm-hmm. Full stop, this is a contender. Full stop, this is a team that can come out of the West. Just th- if, if you're not, I agree with you 100%. If you don't think that, you're just lying to yourself. If you don't think the Clippers are capable, then I don't think you understand what's going on here. The Clippers have every ingredient I think you could want as far as our bona fide championship contender, they have every single thing. They check every single box as far as championship contenders go. And dude, Kawhi, my God, 
Mm-hmm. That fucking guy is playing, I think, as well as he's maybe ever played. Is that crazy to say? Like, it is maybe not like San Antonio Kawhi in terms of athleticism or anything, but you look at the efficiency, you look at but how he manages himself. Don't we say that every time he plays? I know. Don't we say that every time he's healthy? We're like, damn, he's doing it again. It's like, I think this just kind of is what Kawhi is. I know that like, the know. shooting is on another level. That yeah, That's shooting. for sure. You're right. Yeah, yeah. The efficiency and like how deadly that makes him and what that is allowing for them to do is just like I don't know how anyone in the West is guarding this. Like like He's shooting forty five percent from deep and fifty six percent from two. So yeah. that's like what he was doing when he was just a role player. It kind of actually is what he was doing in San Antonio. The difference is he's the absolute best guy on the court every night rather than like the fourth. And like he's like a historically good mid range guy, and like it's mm-hmm. the funny the funniest part about this is, it's not even like the best he's ever been at mid range, but it's forty eight percent last year. He's at fifty one percent, and he's like he he hit this level though his one of his last the last year he played a he played when he played seventy four games with the Spurs in sixteen seventeen, he shot forty nine percent from mid range, which that's that's fucking absurd. He's at forty eight percent this year. It's 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 a full like seven years later, and he's just still capable. He's also seventy nine percent at the rim because he's strong as hell. I mean, like he's just impossible yeah. to deal with. He, I, I mean, we've, I think we've geeked out about Kawhi a hundred times already doing this podcast for not even a year together, and he just he. I, I say it every time we do. He makes you play the way that he wants the game to be played. It's why he gets the Michael and Kobe comps because those guys did that. And he, he, he can honestly, the Celtics game though, what impressed me about that one, I think they had 26 fast break points. They were running and you would never have said that about a James Harden team in the past. You would never have said that necessarily about a Kawhi Leonard team all that often. They don't even play small anymore. Like that used to be what the Clippers were known for, right? Is they have Batum to go to at center or, you know, we thought when they got PJ Tucker, oh, they're going back to it. No, they play, they have three legitimate high level centers and one of them at least has been hurt most of the year. So they haven't had all three. We'll see if they keep them all past the deadline, but between Tyson Plumlee and, and Zubots, they're huge. You wouldn't necessarily think they're going to run being huge, but they just they just can do everything. They can beat any kind of team, and it's because of mostly led by Kawhi, they they just make you play their game. Boston was getting no penetration against them going downhill. They it felt like every shot was was a lift. And then on the other side, you just you're watching and you're like, Kawhi just gets where he wants to go. Harden just gets to his step backs. How's Paul George wide open for three? Russ is playing like a lunatic, playing like the freaking Tasmanian devil and actually kind of being like a power forward center like we've always wanted him to be. Like I think they're one wing away. Amir Coffey is a, a leaky, loose part of their rotation. Maybe they just trim him off and they just play seven, eight guys most nights in the playoffs. That would worry me a little bit given their injury history. But if they can improve that even a touch and they can do like a P.J. Tucker plus Bones Highland or P.J. Tucker plus Kobe Brown type of trade, I might even have them as the favorites. Like I feel that good about them right now. I really, really want Nuggets Clippers in the playoffs. I It is contrasting styles. It is contrasting types of star players. It is maybe the most boring personality star matchup you could get between Kawhi and Jokic. In ter- <laughs> although I don't, you know, like just in terms of what they're going to actually say. 
But, that but the guys the on the I, periphery are, would give us yeah. plenty. I mean, Aaron Gordon's going to fight somebody. Jamal Murray's going to MF somebody. And James Harden's going to, you know, it's James Harden. Like, we, we, don't, need, we don't need too much. The, the, the main guys can be boring. I want that series, too. Yeah. That, that series is as high-level basketball as I think we could get before the finals in this year's playoffs. It, it could be astoundingly great basketball. I, I, I need it. I think I, I, it is harder, Brendan, in my ripe old age of 30. It has gotten harder and harder to stay up really late. I would be sleep deprived for weeks to, I think, just make sure I'm catching that series live, every single morsel of it. Okay, so that's our top three. Those are the real contenders. I'll throw one more number in there about the Clippers. Starters plus Zubots, one of the most used lineups in the NBA up until he went down with an injury, mm-hmm. plus 16.4 net rating per 100 possessions in almost 700 possessions played together. Like, if you're telling me that lineup's playing 30 minutes a night together in the playoffs, I, I'm wondering how it gets beaten uh, on top of everything we said. So once they get healthy, with him back, they'll be even more formidable than they've already been lately. All right, next tier, wannabe contenders. This is not meant, uh, you know, the new Twitter meme format of whatever parentheses derogatory. This is not meant to be that, okay? But I don't think they're there yet. And it's four teams. Philadelphia 76ers, who I have as our trending down team, although... It's probably mostly because they just didn't play their guys in Denver, and I'm annoyed by that. Milwaukee Bucks, OKC Thunder, and the Phoenix Suns, who I have as our trending up team. Mm-hmm. We talked a bunch about the Bucks. We have talked a bunch about the Thunder. So let's zoom in on the Suns here. Six straight wins heading into Friday night. They ended up losing that game by two. Weird kind of closed down the stretch. They fumbled it. The Pacers are playing awesome without Halliburton for some reason. But nevertheless, they're still on a, a great trajectory up to sixth in the West. They're in game two on Sunday of a seven-game road trip, which is always a, a, a good test for some of the metal of a team like this. They've had two 20-point comebacks during that win streak. And... They are just starting to look, not just from a results standpoint, Chris, but from a how standpoint, like the team I think we all expected them to be. Unstoppable offense, but a lot of these games are getting decided by how well can they lock down on defense when they need to, and can they win on the margins and clean up the little stuff with such a top-heavy roster. They have been linked in trades to the exact kind of players I just like want them to have to really make this work, like Royce O'Neal, Dorian Finney-Smith. Mm. And I, I, I can't quit this team fully, Brendan. I, you like I, I don't think this quite works with the Cavs, but sometimes I feel like you, like I'm so close to some of the Cavs stuff where I'm like lower on them than maybe than I should be, and then you are close to the, the Sun stuff before marking them as trending up in a way that. You were like, ah, I'm not sure what's what's kind of going on here at times when we talk about this off air. But I just like also I watch the Kings game and I watch that Bulls game. And I watch what they're capable of when they're just like rolling. And that's just mm-hmm. another team. I don't know how you guard them. I, I don't know. I think that is the vision of this team. It's like, okay, you're up 20. Doesn't really matter. We're just going to end up cooking. And then Booker's just on this run where he's just putting up night after night after night of monster performances. And, like, that's the Devin Booker I was expecting to see at the beginning of the season when I thought this is, like, 
a, a, if you wanted to make like a deep cut of MVP candidate, that's the kind of guy I was looking at to to maybe ascend into that conversation this year. And then instead, it looks like Embiid, if he plays enough games, is in good good position to repeat. That team is just awesome. They're they're doing mm-hmm. the thing they needed to do, which is get into the top six. That's kind of the most important barometer to me. I still think it's a really hard sledding for them if they do. Like they're probably stuck in this tier to me. If they end up like fifth or sixth, just based on the, the the hard path there, but they're fully capable of just ruining anyone's night on a given night with how good that offense is, and, and particularly how good the book Beal Allen KD five is. They just find like one more guy, and you know, like the the Bulls game, it was Drew Eubanks is getting minutes. They could just and KD Bates Yap coming in for defensive moments. Like if they can just find like one other piece, I feel great yeah. about where this team is going, and they they seem to just be settled down, which is a really big deal. Yeah, I think they probably need two pieces, but they're tiny pieces, right? I don't trust Eubanks. I don't trust any of the wings. So it's like they really have six players right now. And a lot of these games, the one hole you might poke in them is the the, the best guys are playing just so much. And that's just it's just not sustainable. Like I'm not predicting injury or something, but that you can't you can't ride players that hard for 82 games plus and expect it to work. But for now, their most used lineup, which is their current starting lineup, Booker, Beal, Durant, and then Allen and Nurkic flanking them, has a 131 offensive rating. I mean, that kind of speaks for itself. They're eighth in offense as a team now, despite a weird start to the season for like the first really two months. I think they kind of started to turn it around around Christmas. That's two lost months, and they're still at eighth in offense despite all that so they're coming um i agree i think they're probably not going to get a player as good as some of the guys you listed i would look a little bit lower on the rung than that of a can they get delon Wright from the wizards can they get uh nick richards from the hornets like you know somebody to play 10 minutes is really the benchmark that they have to clear here but i have a question that zach cram kind of posed at the ringer this week that I think this recent stretch at least begs the question, even though there's some fan bases who would be frustrated to hear it even be asked. Um, do the Suns have the best offense in the NBA? I still think it's Denver. I think we said that on the last show, actually. I think we just talked about this to some degree, where even if they're not the most quote-unquote efficient offense in the league that is Indiana right now and Denver is actually ninth in offense for the year hmm. that to me is still what I think of when I think okay what is the offense if I need to win one game you know or max out a fourth quarter what is the best offense in the league I think I go Denver because I you know it's just problem solves for everything and and elevates guys but Phoenix if I were to say what is like I think they might be my number two I think that would be my number two, particularly if they could just get like a Nick Richards eating up Drew Eubanks minutes. Like Nick Richards is not like a consequential player in, in, in many ways, but that's like a solid capable NBA player and replace a not solid, but like kind of capable ish player in, in Eubanks. So I, they're, they're up there and they're cert- certainly Brendan, if I'm an opposing team, I don't think there's a more scary th- like team in terms of like the the hot hand idea, if there's any one team that could get rolling and just never be stopped right now, I think it's them because of KD and Book. So 
I think I would agree. I, I think that their offense... I, well, I'll, I'll say this. I think that their team was built actually much more in line with what it needed to become than people realize based on what they had to work with. I think people think that they became so offense first with the struggling defense and then how hiring Frank Vogel makes it confusing and I get all that. But this is kind of the direction that they had to go. They didn't have a path to being a dominating defense largely because of the fact that their best or tied for best players, Devin Booker, who is not a stopper and what else they had around them. So they kind of had to go all in on offense. Bradley Beal is the reason that they are now all in on offense. And I think what can make them go from just a an overpowering team or the hot hand idea that you're talking about or whatever and maybe make them rise above a Boston who is very dependent on, you know, three balls going in and aggressiveness or, you know, efficiency of their best players on a night-to-night basis or the the Clippers who I don't really think have any intentions of being a super like complicated offense. They're they're chilling with being an ISO-based offense because their defense is so swarming at times. For the Suns to get past those guys, maybe even get past the Nuggets, I think that they have to become cohesive on top of being scary right and like i think some of these games um like the game against dallas midweek last week where they were targeting luca a bunch or some of these high profile moments where they've been able to not only use the some of their parts but also be very specific about what they want to do that's kind of the next level because that's what denver's always going to have right so that's what i'm watching for down the stretch with the suns is can they go from like a holy shit offense to like a like a whoa offense where you're like impressed rather than just scared. You know what I mean? Because it's, it's like a high IQ thing too, not just overpowering, but yeah, I think, I think the what you, what you said to me that stood out the most that I would highlight here as we close on them is they probably aren't getting above the wannabe contenders until they prove it in the postseason. But I think their limitations are so strong that we kind of just need to see it. That's kind of a fun team, though, in a way, is the one where you know it's in them, but it's like, will they get there? You know, tune in tomorrow. We'll find out. Just should note, the West playoffs are going to be potentially just brutal from the get-go. Here's the standings as of right as now. As they always Thunder. are. Yeah, this this just feels like another level to me, though. This just like like the vibe around some of this just feels <laughs> yeah tough. Thunder are the one seed. Wolves are two. Maybe a conversation to have about some team trying to be the seventh seed so they can play the Wolves. Just just throw that. Well, they're out also there. tied, so that's yeah. that's gonna go down to the wire. Yeah. Half game it's half game. Clippers are game and a half back. Um Nuggets are there. Then there's a little bit of a drop to the Kings and the Suns and the Pelicans and the Mavs. Best case for the I do you, I don't really know if there's a world where realistically Brendan the Suns even catch like the four. Like that seems like an uphill battle for them. But yeah, I don't think so. Five feels like a good place to be, or do they try to like? I mean, honestly, like man, they, Suns Nuggets in the first round. I, I'm I'd be I'd be doing wellness checks on you like every single day. God. If we yeah, I don't want to think if, about that. Hey, Brennan, if we get a world where it's like Suns Nuggets run one and Cavs Knicks and run one, I think both of you and I might be dead by the end of the time the first round is over. If I'm being honest. I think so. I think that that takes us to tier three, which I've called I Need Answers. 
It is. The Minnesota Timberwolves, the Dallas Mavericks, the New York Knicks, who are awaiting a diagnosis, a prognosis on Julius Randle, who has a separated shoulder. It sounds like the x-ray came back negative, meaning he didn't like fracture his clavicle or anything, but the MRI, as far as whatever the under the skin stuff that might have gotten damaged is going to cause him to miss time for that is still to be determined so we will see it sounds like it could be pretty significant though so that's not the answer i need we know randall's been great this year but obviously that could really hamper their regular season standing spot and then the cleveland cavaliers chris your uh, your Cavs, who i have as the trending up team Trending down, I don't really think it's fair to say for anybody. We've we've kind of uh, bullied the wolves, wolves enough. I think, ev- but even having them here is like compared to the rest of the teams that I've placed them in comp- in the company of. I wouldn't call say that they're trending down more than these teams. It's like the fact that they're even here is kind of the downtrend, you know. Yeah, the fact that like I can't, I like was looking up their trade rumors and it was like Monty Morris could be their big off who's played two games this year could be their big trade deadline get him just like they really just need like another person who can dribble don't they? They do. Um, they are 16th in offense, which is actually a little bit up from where they had been. But yeah, I think I think that they are. Of course, a huge prove-it team. They've never won a playoff series during Carl Anthony Towns' career, and, and this roster is, is offense deficient. We'll see what the deadline does for them, but I need answers, as I said in the tier name. But let's talk about the Cavs. Their win streak was broken by the Bucks this week in their first of two matchups against Milwaukee, but then they beat Milwaukee the next game, which is a nice sign to see, and both games were competitive. Cleveland made a late run in the first one. They are number two in the NBA in defense. And based on a text that you sent me earlier in our recording, it would appear that they are getting Evan Mobley back. Uh, Is that tonight, Sunday? The Monday. So the next game is against the Clippers on Monday, a game that I am very sad that I will, due to some stuff, uh, will not be at. Very, very bummed about this, to not see the Clippers in person and see Mobley's return. Say la vie. Mobley is going to be on a minutes restriction, I think. It seems like the start, based on a quote that J.B. Bickerstaff, the team's head coach, gave to Cleveland.com. So we'll see kind of how the ramp-up process looks. But they've won 9-10. to And, Brennan, the Mobley thing is going to tell us something about what this team, I think, wants to be in terms of style of play. They have had real success, particularly over this 9 wins and 10-game stretch of shooting a lot of threes, of getting the offensive glass, and still being very good defensively. A really good defensive performance in that Bucks win. Um, including yeah, held them to a hundred. Yeah, like really, really good. Donovan Mitchell, low key, been pretty good defensively for the past month. Has been really engaged in playing passing lanes and doing a really good job. He's playing some amazing basketball of late. And the stats show that it's the best defensive box plus minus of his career, even back to the Utah yeah. days when he was a young guy. Mm-hmm. He's been awesome. I think this year, well, very much an All Star. We'll get to that later this week too. But he, this team with Moby coming back. You can't play the exact same way that they did when Mobley is back. You're pre- one of Dean Wade and Isaac Okoro is going to go to the bench. You do now just Okoro. like Tristan. Yeah, probably. Um, Okoro's been pretty good, though. I'm, I hold on. A- I'm not saying he's not, but you can't have three shooter, three non-shooters in the starting lineup. To your point of how they've been playing, that that's the opposite of what they've been trying to yeah. do. So, Yeah, and at least Dean Wade, at least of late, has been like taking shots instead of like being very intimidated by shots, which was like a real problem for him. <laughs> Um, not great for him, but Mobley coming back means that they're going to have to find a middle ground between 
how they wanted to play with fully healthy, and then this identity doesn't really work. Like, I think they need to keep finding Sam Merrill minutes. I think they need to keep, like, just don't play a backup center. Evan Mobley is your de facto backup center now in terms of eating up those minutes. I don't need to see Damian Jones play any minutes for this team now that Tristan Thompson, and I didn't, you know, Tristan Thompson prior to his PED suspension would have also not needed to been seen now that Evan Mobley is back. Well, that's my, that was going to be my guess slash suggestion uh, if, if JB is listening is like just stagger them more that's the easy first step of what you do to integrate Mobley based on how not only like how they've been playing but how well Allen has been playing it's not just that he's yes. like been the only center and you gotta figure out what that means it's like no he's also been fucking awesome at it so it's like you really gotta almost make space for him just as much as you're trying to create a good structure for Mobley to thrive in because Allen's earned it you know I, I it's almost like disrespectful to be like all right the young kid's back you know Allen you gotta take a back seat here like no I think you you have to ride what's working what got you here so yeah I'm fascinated by by how that's all gonna play out you know we've seen teams with like you know the Warriors use both of their bigs as as dribble handoff guys and and that's really been how Allen has has functioned as a hub it's like dribble handoffs with the role players and pick and roll with Donovan and more of an aggressiveness to score. I feel like from Allen then, then is typical for him. And he's been really, you know, even making some like jumper and floater stuff that he doesn't often bust out. And can you do that? Like double with each big on one side of the court and kind of play like, you know, nineties basketball. I don't know. I'm, I'm very, very fascinated by by what they do here but how much of what we've seen during the win streak do you think can carry over considering how much will have to change inevitably because of the stature of Mobley and Garland coming back can they keep the style can they keep the rhythm can they be as good like what what are your expectations when they do finally get healthy because they went the exact opposite direction when those injuries hit of what we all thought I think they can keep some of this up, but I I think it's gonna it's gonna they're gonna need to be very intentional about it. Like I think Sam Merrill just needs to play. Danny Chow wrote a really good blog about Merrill at at the Ringer, but he's having he's just been like an unbelievable shooter. He has he's shooting forty nearly forty three percent on six threes a game in sixteen minutes a game on the season. He's had multiple games where he's taken over ten threes in a game. He has added a real dynamicism off ball for this team that they just needed. He's like Max Drews is a more well-rounded player, but he is Merrill has kind of become the de facto like light you up three-point guy, and he has really good chemistry with Mitchell. It gives Mitchell easy outlets. It just gives them more spacing. I think it makes life easier for Wade. I think it makes life easier for for Okoro to just be on the back end of plays at times and get up shots where they need to. I think you just gotta keep finding minutes for this guy. He's been solid enough defensively as well, I think. So I think you gotta find to keep ways to playing him. I think you stagger them at center. I think also when Darius Garland inevitably returns, which will be soon ish, I think you have to push him more into different and ask him to expand himself in some ways to play into the style as well. But I think you gotta just keep trying to play this way. They have been better as a result. They've been cracked the the rebounding thing has been a huge boon for them. And I don't really I never quite understood how a team with Allen and Mobley on the floor a lot together wasn't a particularly great rebounding team, but they've been killing it on the glass as of late. Certainly, you can look at the schedule and poke some holes in that. Like, they've played the Wizards twice in there and, and stuff, but, like, you play who's in front of you. They're playing really well. I think you And they proved to... something playing the Bucks so competitively. Yes. I know they lost one, but it's like... 
If they had just gotten flattened in both Bucks games, I would doubt it. But they didn't. Yeah. And, and the first one wasn't even so... Like, yes, they lost, but... If, like, they just had, like, a slightly... Like, that was not a particularly good Mitchell offensive game. And if Mitchell's, like, 5% less goofy in that game, they might win that game. Like, it's in play mm-hmm. if Mitchell's just, like, a little bit better. And then you... And Okoro, like, had Damian Lillard in hell for two games. So, like, they, they Matt, they're playing really well. I think they have to just yeah. keep leaning into this and ride this out as long as it goes, even if you're going to have to make some adjustments with the mobile back. I really want to see... If Donovan Mitchell can channel this into actually being the most impactful season of his career, because the numbers would show you that he is kind of doing the things that a lot of people have asked of him for a long time. Be more efficient and egalitarian with the ball in your hands. Play a little better defense. Make the teammates around you consistently better, not just being the best scorer on a team of other guys. And he's doing that. Can he continue to do that when the other dudes get back? There's a lot of players that can do this when the roster looks the way theirs currently does. There's very few players who can do this impactful, this level of impact with a great team around him. And it's going to be a very fun subplot down the stretch. All right, let's get to tier four, which is called pick up the phone, i.e. make a damn trade. The Miami Heat, they already did that. I think they might need to keep the phone in their hand here. The Indiana Pacers already also already did that. Kind of feel like they may need a, a little more tinkering. The Los Angeles Lakers, who we covered in depth to start the show. And then the Sacramento Kings, Chris, who I will allow us to zoom in on for a moment, specifically on Keegan Murray. I have the Kings as the team trending down. Although maybe should be the Heat, truly. They've yeah. been pretty bad lately. Uh, and then I have the Pacers as trending up, partially related to the Siakam trade, and then they've actually kept winning, even with Halliburton going back down after what, just one game together. But Murray, it feels not quite like the season we expected him to have. But I think that there's a lot of reasons for that, and not all of them are his fault. What are your thoughts on uh, Keegan in year two here? I, I've been thinking about him in relation to Brennan, uh, them not trading for Siakam. And there's something about this outcome that I that I quite like. In that, yes, it is... There's still more I think I would want for him. You know, I, you know his usage would be cool. Um, I like that he is just taking more spot-up opportunities. I like... I like his overall flow but it you know he if you know you mentioned in our notes he doesn't isolate much he rarely gets to run the pick and roll that's the i understand how that hasn't happened because they have De'Aaron fox who's still having a really great season and like i kind of get that the structure of this team is not necessarily built for murray to just get to easily eat up some of that stuff when they're pushing for a good playoff seed and all that but if they had made like a Siakam trade, I think it would have made them better. I still think you ultimately have to kind of look at stuff like that if you're them. Mm-hmm. But it would have eaten up into this even more. And there is there is something to the idea to me that if Keegan Murray in year two and you believe his ceiling is really high and that you want him to get to a certain place as an efficient player and all that stuff, I really do believe that 
there is something with him where that can leave the opportunity that leaves more of a window open for him to kind of maximize whatever this is. And when they get to the playoffs in particular, there's going to be more room for him to kind of expand himself and figure out what can, what he can do there than there would have been if they had made like a, a Siakam trade. Yeah, Monk is obviously there too as somebody sopping up even when Fox is not on the court or as a secondary guy when he is, a lot of those possessions. So yeah, there's not a ton of of wiggle room. What I would say is honestly watching this team and even remembering the moments last season when Murray wasn't even doing as much as he's doing now, the way that he was used in the, the times that he excelled, I feel like the guy standing in the way of him maybe more than even those guys is Kevin Herter. I feel like if you just put Murray in some of the dribble handoff stuff that and Barnes runs it, you know, with Sabonis, you could see Murray kind of finally creep up above 20% usage and really feel like a night to night impact guy. Now he it's I mean, partially it's just because he doesn't have to do it right. It's like they don't need him to score in order to win and and. I think the other flip side of what we're talking about is what they do need from him is to be awesome at defense. And he ha- I do think he's taken a step forward there. You know, he has uh, still a negative defensive box plus minus, but this is one of those where some of the advanced stats really disagree with each other. His estimated plus minus on dunksandthrees.com is almost plus two. That stat grades him out as one of the best defenders in the whole NBA, most impactful. And some other ones are like he's a negative. I, I think how much you're able to adjust for the fact that he's on the Kings. (laughs) That probably, I think, is maybe the disagreement there. It's like, if you're just sort of saying, well, he plays for a bad defensive team, you might think he's bad. But what they ask him to do is pretty crazy. He guards guards, he guards bigs, he guards forwards. Pretty much, I would say, most nights he's guarding whoever the best opposing player is, unless that guy happens to be a center. Obviously, Sabonis is going to take it, or like a tiny guard, in which case Fox probably does. But anyone else, it's going to be Keegan Murray. And I think he's done a really damn good job. And for a team, to the Siakam point you made, that really pursued somebody in a Siakam and Ananobi mold, largely, I think, because of those guys' defense, more so even than their offense... Murray getting better there probably says the the most positive things about his future here, their future getting better on that end of the floor as a team and and all that stuff. I do think they just still need to get bigger. I don't think he should be the power forward for this squad, and I think that would help him too. That That's kind of, I guess, the bummer about them not getting Siakam, even if I agree that riding him might be best overall. I did love the idea. The the biggest thing I liked about Siakam is that he just gave them more size, and that's a hard thing to replicate. I don't know if they're going to find another 6'10 guy that they can easily acquire on this trade market or even in the offseason. Or even if they can find someone, they won't be. There's a chance they're not very good. Like you, sure, some yeah. Team can not as good as team. an all star, yeah. Well, but even like some team is going to be able to trade for like Tory Craig, who's making like $2 million with the Bulls, and he's essentially like a big forward, but that's. Like, that's just size and depth. It's not, like, impactful. Hey, we got a good seventh guy in the rotation now. Like they're, they're, there's, Or even, like, wind- Grant and Kuzma, right, who are tall, but they're not, they're not the type of defensive, mm-hmm. physical, stopping wall of size that, that we're kind of talking about. So it's a hard place to be for them. Yeah, 100%. I, I still want them to make some kind of move, but... 
very tricky to think kind of Siakam was just felt so obvious to me. Now I wonder what else they might have really been linked to like anything else. It's been very quiet for them as far as any other kind of trade. Yeah, I think they have to do something, but it might be a little bit more of a stopgap than we originally imagined. Um, there's just not a lot of that type of player. That's why, you know, that's why Siakam ended up being having a little bit of a bidding war for him and why guys like that are so desirable, you know? It's uh, it's John not easy Collins, to find. John Collins rehabilitation zone, Sacramento Kings. Would wouldn't wouldn't yeah. hate it. But DeAndre Hunter? Like so, like like I they're gonna have he's to try wing, something. You know, he's kind of the same size as Murray. It's it's not yeah. easy. Um all right. I'm still not sure he's good. <laughs> sure. Stuck in the middle, tier number five. Rockets, Warriors, Pelicans, Magic, Jazz. I have the Magic as trending down. Kind of a bummer middle of the season for them. I have the Jazz trending up. They are now ahead of the Golden State Warriors for the 10 spot in the Western Conference standings. We don't have to spend too much time on this team because we do talk about them a lot because I'm a little bit obsessed, Chris. But I had the New Orleans Pelicans circled here as the team to highlight. They are up to 11th in net rating. They're near the top 10 in both offense and defense. Teams are very cold on threes all season against them, which tends to be a bad sign for their actual defensive impact. You know, the, the stats might be lying a little bit, but they're also fifth in average point differential in the West. And I kind of just think, you know, maybe this is a slight victory lap because when we did our Western Conference check-in with Wes Goldberg, I picked the Pelicans as kind of the team to watch. I thought that they were being underrated and they've sort of proven that. But I'm, at the same time, I like them as a regular season team, and I do not believe in them at all as a postseason team. That's pretty much where I'm at with New Orleans. Yeah, and like it's interesting that they, in the trade markets slop we're getting, they've been like linked to like wanting centers. Like they, that's been the most recent reporting. And I understand mm-hmm. that maybe you want to improve on the Valanciunas spot, but I also don't know what that's like accomplishing for you exactly. You know? Yeah, I don't even know if it's an upgrade on the Valanciunas spot. It is, it is weird. I think it's somewhat of a he can't play enough thing and Larry Nance gets hurt all the time and we just want some cushion there. Can I don't I even know if they want a center who would actually play like playoff minutes for them because Valanciunas has been awesome and when Nance plays, he's kind of always good. It's just a hit or miss if you will. Yeah, yeah I give was kind of wondering if, if there's a world where they like swap out Valanciunas and like go pivot to like a Nick Claxton and what that would look like. I've been thinking about sure. like that kind of interior presence that's a little bit different, but then you're trading something offensively, I think, there as well. Mm-hmm. So it's not exactly perfect. I mean, that's what we talked about with, with Schmidt uh, preseason, right? In the preview, it was, can, they, can the rest of the offensive environment get better enough that they're not so dependent on Valanciunas? And even though they've had a good season, the answer is still no. They still need Valanciunas on the court a lot to be their best because of what he does as an offensive rebounder, a finisher, a screener, all that stuff. And it's just this team just does feel always like a little waiting to be snake bitten again, which just kind of makes this hard as well, you know. Um, you mentioned Nance, yeah. McCollum, like, it, and it's not fun. And they've also been linked to being like, hey, they're not going to trade Herb, and the differential tells a story and all this stuff. It just feels like there's something just kind of waiting here. They feel like they're never trending up or down. They just kind of are. <laughs> It's true. I, I just, I, you don't want to jump the gun. And, and again, I'm, I'm optimistic about this team. I think they're better than people give them credit for. I think Zion, even though he's had a 
I would say a very disappointing season overall. Yeah. I think his his adaptivity is worth praising here. The fact that he is sort of playing like stylistically like a more aggressive Ben Simmons type of a role. Like if Ben Simmons didn't avoid contact is kind of how Zion is playing. He's he's really like a point forward. And I think there is something to be said for that, even though he got made fun of for like, oh, I'm trying to adapt to a new thing. And everybody was like, dude, you're a number one overall pick. What the hell are you talking about? I think this is what he was talking about. He, he's really like, he's, he's a playmaker first for them. And I don't know if that's always what he should be, but like, I think there's something to be said that he's adjusted his game. But yeah, I, uh, I think if they don't, figure it out by the end of this season and and win a series probably it might be this this might be the last few months you get to watch the uh the bi and zion tandem you know maybe maybe highlight some games on the calendar get a get a few eyeballs on those because it might not be going on much longer after this yeah you're getting us to a place of uh uh ben simmons and zion comps just made me really sad so i think i think it's we 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 gotta move on i can't all right Tier number six, and I agree. We uh, we don't need to belabor that. But look, okay, you know we can have a Zion conversation a different day. There, there is a, always Brendan, there's a there's a Zion but there's a whole Zion episode to do. We should probably do it at some point. But it's like we need to carve out like a lot of time and and uh, get get a Pelicans guest on to 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 see how like bleak they're feeling. Just get like one of those sets. airport or airplane paper bags to either hyperventilate or puke into as we're discussing all of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, that's where we are. All right, tier number six is called Always a Couple Games Out of the East Play-In, and it is the same exact four teams that we had here last time because guess what, Chris? They are always a couple games out of the East Play-In, and that is a very special thing that the NBA has given to our friends out on the East Coast. That is the Nets, the Raptors, the Hawks, and the Bulls, and you know what? I'm going to make the executive decision that we're going to skip all of them. They're not worth talking about. We will be talking plenty about the Atlanta Hawks in the days to come because they will probably be making multiple trades, so we'll... Uh, circle back there uh, down the stretch. But tier number seven is the bottom. I have a a point initially here that I actually think putting the Memphis Grizzlies here is disrespectful considering their level of fight. But this is where they have to be. They're also not in the East, so I can't put them in the previous tier. So well, maybe kind of played like, myself. So, we, so maybe just like they get their own tier and it's just like the Grizzlies. Scrappy, but it's just the it's just the Grizzlies. <laughs> tier like, seven, scrappy. the Grizzlies. Tier eight, the bottom. There we go. Scra- scrap like Vince Williams is helping you beat the Miami is helping you competitively play against the Miami Heat. But what's really going on here? No one's healthy. It's like that's the tier. What's going on here is Taylor Jenkins is damn good at being an NBA head coach, and uh, we we deserve. A W for all the way back in November, pointing that out, that he was not the problem, and he has uh, been vindicated. I think he's one of the best coaches in the league, actually. But other than that, yeah, they, uh, you know, they're just treading water. They're just trying to get out here, get their pick, and get and go home. But they're too good to really fully tank. So there we go. They're they're their own tier. The last Grizzlies, the only Grizzlies thing I want to ask you is, is there one of their random role guys that if you were another team, you'd be like, yeah, let me just like give you two seconds, and then I can have John Conchar or something? Is there anyone you like? Well, Kennard. Yeah, Kennard. He's just yeah, he's just like a little like pricier. Sure, but he also he I'm should. not 
fully convinced as a playoff player because of his defense, but he'd be the one. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, tier number eight, the bottom. And that is the Spurs, the Blazers, the Hornets, the Pistons, the Wizards. No surprises there, but let's focus on the Hornets, who just traded Terry Rozier. I mentioned Nick Richards' name once already. There is a Miles Bridges conversation to be had. Once we get closer to him actually being dealt or when he is already dealt, Chris, I think we can avoid that for now. Um, mm-hmm. Gordon Hayward appears likely to be bought out from what all the rumors would indicate. His salary is just too big. I think you maybe could get something for him in a trade if he was making less money, but nobody's going to give up multiple players to get up to that 30 plus million. So unfortunately, his time in Charlotte may just end with a, a whimper there. Whether it's any of the names I just said, or beyond that, from a transaction standpoint, who do you have your eye on that could actually, you know, sway the playoff picture in some way if this is a kind of a fire sale like we are expecting in Charlotte, finally? I'm a PJ Washington guy. Um, he is versatile, he can play multiple spots, he can unlock small ball for you. There's just a lot he can do that is hard to find. He's on a pretty affordable contract it's like 16 this year down to 15 the year after and then 14 the year after that that to me is a guy that's potentially worth a first of some kind i think he can be a top eight rotation guy and a good team i'm just a fan of his game i'm a fan of what he does i'd like to see him get to a good team in a good environment um and and you know i know that there's maybe like they just have minute concerns with you know mark williams has a setback from injury and and all this stuff but I think I would just get value for him, and if I'm him, I'm I want to go play somewhere good. And you could you could pick a lot of different teams that I think could use what he does. He is this year's Sadiq Bay for one very specific reason, which is that popping open the NBA app on my phone on Saturday night and pulling open the Jazz Charlotte Hornets box score and seeing that he went 17 of 22 for 43 points was probably the single biggest one individual player stat surprise of the season. But that's what he can do. He's a skilled offensive guy. He can score in a variety of ways. He plays off of other guys. He doesn't need the ball. Like, I think you're right. If they can, And if you get anything defensively from him, it's sort of just a cherry on top would be my, my read on that. I would... What do you think Gordon Hayward can give somebody? Do you think that it's just naive to believe he's going to be able to like stay on the court? Because I, I think if, if you're getting him as a buyout and there's the, ap- the over-the-apron teams can't get him because he makes too much money. So it's somebody sort of in the kind of middle of the playoff race. But if you were to tell me like, I don't know, the, the Pacers give him give him back to his rightful home uh, where he wanted to go all along or like the wolves i would give him 15 minutes a game i think gordon hayward could could help somebody i i agree i think it's got to be very limited i don't think he you know he's playing 32 minutes a game in the game he's played this year that's a little high, but I think if you get him 15 to 22 in that range, he does some ball handling, he makes some threes, he he's big and at least he's competitive and he's just competent. I think that's more than enough. I think that would be enough. And like considering what the buy market normally is, that's not nothing. That that is something for getting a guy in the buyout like that. So that like 
Yeah, I think that is, and it's definitely a very short-term thing. He's 33, he's almost 34. I think it's like this year, and maybe whoever gets him, if it works, you run it back for like one more year. It's kind of towards the end, it feels like a little bit here. But I think certainly for this season, if you get him 15 minutes a game on a solid team, a team that could need just like a big wing body to dribble the basketball and make some shots and, and be composed... You could do yeah. a lot worse than getting him on the buyout market. The Wolves is a great shout, actually. I think I would really, especially if they like flip slow mo for a point guard at this deadline, and that's the kind of route they go trade wise. I would love Hayward as like the buyout kind of replacement for for what slow mo gives them. So, last note on the Hornets. Last note for the show: the Hornets have played since Lamelo Ball returned. The Spurs twice. The Pistons. And the Rockets, who are also trending down, but we didn't talk about them today. And Ball has one game, Chris, where he has shot better than 45% from the field. And he has one game of not having multiple turnovers. He's putting up Terrible box score after terrible box score. 5 of 14, 9 of 24, 6 of 21, 6 turnovers, 4 turnovers, 4 turnovers. Like, that organization is uh, really in for it. That that might be the bleakest situation in the NBA. I, I feel bad for Hornets fans, but the fact that Ball has come back and it has meant nothing, and they're getting just blown out by mediocre or bad teams... They lost by 36 to the Spurs. They lost by 34 to the Rockets. I don't know. It's bad. Something's off with Lamelo. Something is off with what he's giving you, and maybe they just need a, a new coach and, and the organization reset in the summer. But I, I think for what his potential is, you'd expect more out of him even in these moments. You expect it to feel something when he's back like this, and it's not really, not really moving the needle much. Maybe the Pistons and the Hornets also need their own category at the bottom. Just depressed? Depressed? Because mm-hmm. at least like Portland and San Antonio and Washington, we kind of know what, what's going on there. They're on their way up a little bit. The Washington, the Washington has a little further down to go, but they have a they, they tore down already, you know? Whereas the Hornets and yeah. Pistons, it's like, I, it's just a big old depressed shrug from me, to be honest with you. I've, I might put the Wizards in that tier as well just because I have not seen a more sad basketball team in person this year than them. Yeah. And they're paying Jordan Poole lots of money. They almost came back Jordan. and beat the Suns. So my Wizards experience this season was was very exciting. Did you by chance see the Jordan Poole quotes about legacy? I think we got to save that for a different... He deserves his own episode, too. If we're doing a Zion episode, we need, we need a, a, a pool these, episode. These were from a couple months ago, but they came up on Reddit recently, and I was just like, all right, I, I, I'm officially done with you, Jordan Poole. You are just... We're not... And if we, Brendan, if we do a Jordan Poole episode, we need to retire. I it's for the Patreon. <laughs> that's like after... Yeah, that's like after dark. Yeah. You know? That's real sicko shit. All right, let's Members only. Yeah, members only, $100 to each Brendan and I individually, and we'll we'll talk about uh, Jordan Poole for like an hour. And by the end, I'll like have I'll be out the window is, is what will happen there. All right, we're going to end there. I'm Chris Manning. That is Brendan Clean. Please subscribe, rate, review if you have not already. We'll be back Wednesday. We're going to get into All-Stars. 
All-Star Game's coming up. We're going to get into who should be on the teams and whatnot. And then, Rob, any more trade slop we'll cover then as well. Until next time, I'm Chris. That's Brendan. It's been the Just Basketball Show. Peace out, everyone. Enjoy the hoops.